Welcome to another edition of the Compassion Initiative podcast brought to you from the Compassionate Mind Research Group <laughs> at University of Queensland. Uh, my name's Stan Steindl and with me once again is James Kirby. G'day Stan, how are you? G'day James. <laughs> Thought I'd bring the energy up a little bit. Yeah, right here. <laughs> Thank you. Now James, um, you have been incredibly active over these last sort of three to six months and um, I must admit that I've been kind of watching you and, and experiencing sort of immense appreciative joy uh, to see all of the, the well, the, the research and the training and, and various, you know, even interviews you've done and, and there's just been a lot happening. Uh, at the beginning of this year and, and just the, the contributions have been uh, really wonderful to watch and, and a big part of that I guess was this chance for all of us here to have Paul Gilbert with us oh, yeah. and you managed to uh, do a lot of work with Paul and so what I actually wanted to do today uh, for our conversation was to find out a little bit about all of that experience and what that's been like for you. Maybe, first of all, just to get a bit of a sense from you about what you've learned or, or sort of what your thoughts are from a research point of view and a scientific point of view. Um, secondly, though, to get some of your insights from this last three to six months about training and, and learning compassion-focused therapy and maybe even uh, putting some of that into practice clinically. And then thirdly, <laughs> I thought I'd just see what you've learned from the point of view of, of being a man. <laughs> or maybe, maybe just in, in being a person and, and what, what you've found this last three to six months, perhaps even incorporating some of the, the CFT stuff, the compassion focused therapy, oh, okay. or maybe even just, you know, compassion and, and some of the other um, insights just into your daily life. So I know that's putting you on the spot here a bit today, but um, would that be okay to, yeah, yeah, to, no. to have a bit of a think? No, yeah, for sure. Um, I've sort of forgotten some of those questions, so you're going to repeat them, I presume? I'll be going through them one at a time, so yeah, that'll be, that'll be all right. I'm just um, trying to think who would find this interesting. Um, the only person that comes to mind is mum. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm interested, so that's why I'm doing it. So, so okay. starting, first of all, with research, I mean, it's just yeah. been amazing to watch because even with all of the travel that you've been doing and the workshops and running various activities, you still seem to be producing quite a lot of research output. So uh, I know you've been working closely with Paul on a number of things. You've got collaborations with others as well. Um, yeah, what, what comes to mind over the last six months? What stood out to you as being kind of important in in the research or the findings or the little little idiosyncrasies that you've noticed in and amongst all that? Any, <laughs> any thoughts there? Um, yeah. Uh, well, firstly, thanks no, for some of those really nice things you said. Um, yeah, it's often rare to hear you pass on such... <laughs> Nice compliments to me. No, I'm just kidding. Of course, I'm joking. <laughs> but no, um, the last uh, six months has been, as you said, uh, pretty intense. Um, I can't believe it's June, for example. Mm. Uh, and, and having Paul here for the first uh, three months of the year, um, 
was kind of uh, an incredible opportunity uh, for us here at uh, the Compassionate Mind Research Group here at UQ. Um, but also just personally working with them sort of more daily. Um, mm. I mean, we typically talk on the phone <laughs> most days anyways, but um, to actually be here in person uh, uh, discussing research in, in, in the office together was a different experience because uh, mm. you can kind of, I don't know, there's just something, I don't know, more raw or it feels more, I don't know, the de- ideas are more intense perhaps, I'm not sure, but when you're in person exploring them, kind of feels like you get an extra layer uh, to, to what it is that you're exploring uh, and that might be because of just accessibility like after you finish the Skype call you don't talk to each other mm. till the next day well whilst you're here I'll you know just text them hey when you said fears of that what did you mean <laughs> and so mm. you can kind of keep the conversation going mm. um, but what blows me away is Paul's um, the amount of research Paul's across mm-hmm. so you know you think you're kind of um, on top of things and then he'll talk about this whole body of research that was done in this area back in the late 80s. And you're like, oh, right. <laughs> okay, I'll yeah. go and do some reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that the little chances I got to chat with him, I mean, it's very sort of intellectually stimulating and it, it definitely, you know, bouncing those ideas back and forth with him and watching him think, I, I, mm. I found that very, very uh, useful. I think, yeah, exactly. And I think that, that the way he thinks is 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 perhaps the the biggest learning uh, from it. So I usually look at uh, research, um, you know, and if it hasn't quite worked the way that we anticipated in terms of our hypotheses, I get a bit disappointed. Ah, mm. uh, you know, what do we have to do now? What do we have to do next? But Paul sees it in quite the opposite way. He's kind of like, oh, goodness, what, you know, uh, what is it about that group that don't respond to that? Jeez, mm. we should look into this and work out. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> do mm. you ever slow down? Yeah. But of course, it's an incredibly important line of inquiry he then begins and generates and it starts to look at, okay, then this is how we usually do it. It's a bit um, naive to think that this usual way of delivering this compassion imagery practice is going to work the same for everyone. Um, mm. Yeah. is a bit naive and sometimes I can get caught up into that. Um, it's just that innate curiosity that yeah. he's got, isn't it? And and, and being right. kind of interested in the discoveries there. Yeah, I oh, know, you're right. And I suspect part of him might be, oh, okay, that's a bit annoying, that didn't work out. But goodness, what's going on here? I mean, that's fascinating that this group didn't respond. What should we do? Or wonder what they think. And he's really keen on asking those sorts of questions. Um, mm. And so one of the things I learned... Um, for example, I think this is research you're doing now as well, um, is after you do some of the practices, say perhaps uh, creating an ideal, compassionate other, and we often just look at, okay, what impact did that have on perhaps your mood or how you were feeling in this moment? Uh, or we might perhaps look at it more longer term and how that might shift um, the way uh, you experience compassion or relate to others. He is very interested in that moment after doing the practice how difficult did you find it? Well, what made it difficult for you? Mm. Um, were you scared of doing it at all? Were there any instances you kind of felt like you wanted to sort of drop out of the practice? Mm. Okay, at that point, what was it that made you a bit, I want to step back? You know, what was it that drove you to, to want to move away from? Um, and these are terrific questions because you're trying mm. to get into what that person's experience was of the practice. Um, which can give us a, a heap of information around what fears, blocks of resistances individuals might be having to imagery or compassion, uh, for example, which is what he's all about. Mm. Yeah, I, I 
I like that idea of incorporating just sort of individual questions, mm-hmm. you know, following an exercise or a practice like that, just to mm-hmm. understand a little bit more kind of what that experience was perhaps like for a person. I mean, even even just down the ba- to the basics of someone who finds imagery difficult, yeah. you know, and, and can't bring that image really kind of to mind. And so being able to sort of understand those processes for people and, and, and that might be a block. Yeah. And another person might express a fear that, that, that you know that somehow or other they creates anxiety and so the little individual questions mm. that really can tap into the nuance there seems really useful in research oh exactly and so not only will be will he be across you know the brain imaging studies and uh, the physiological research and so on but he's very interested in this qualitative work mm. you know so what is your experience of it and that's very hard to tap into with um, some of the like scale questions we have on a scale of one to seven although they are helpful but also just asking those questions specifically to the individual Mm. how did you find the experience and did you find any part of it uh, scary distressing if so what was it Mm. you know it's kind of a cool line of inquiry i mean he's he's always the the therapist really (laughs) Mm. (laughs) even in the research it just comes out and it's just like oh it's just that's cool to observe there's a real integration there between the, the, the clinician and the researcher. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Now, now you've, you've done some work recently with him sort of broadly around kindness yeah. versus, you know, compassion or other things. Could you, can you tell us a bit about that? Is that okay to <laughs> yeah, discuss yeah, yeah. what you're looking at there? Yeah, no, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do it briefly. Um, yeah. Uh, so this is work not only with Paul, um, Jazz um, has also been... Uh, hugely involved and she works with Paul and she's doing a PhD around compassion and narcissism. An interesting topic, a topic for another day. Mm. Um, but essentially we were just looking at can people distinguish clearly between what might be seen as a compassionate act versus a kind act. Because um, a lot of individuals might use the terms interchangeably mm. um, to describe the same thing. And essentially Paul's line of inquiry was around this idea that, well, no, they are different. Um, you might say compassionate acts are kind, but you wouldn't necessarily say all kind acts are compassionate mm. because kindness is very much focused on a person's well-being. Uh, for example, um, like a, a scenario we used in a recent study that was published in Mindfulness uh, was around, you know, a kind act might be ringing, remembering to ring someone up to wish them a happy birthday mm. or just ringing up to say, hi, how are you going? Just to continue the connectedness. Uh, so thinking about others positively in mind when they're not around, then doing something for them. Now, that's not focused on reducing their suffering. Mm. Um, however, if you know the person is distressed and going through a real difficulty, remembering to call them and check in with them and connect with them could be both a kind and compassionate act. But the key difference there is you know that the person is distressed or suffering. Would it be that there might be an act of kindness with a compassionate motivation? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really nice way of saying it. Um, you're good with these things, aren't you, Stan? <laughs> but no, so we found that individuals could, could clearly distinguish between scenarios that we had written, and the key difference was whether or not the individual was suffering. Uh-huh. And, then, um, and then since then, we've kind of explored it more. So, I mean, just here in our lab, we did a, a kind of experiment where, um, not like a controlled experiment or anything like that just as part of the lab mm. we just did a little exercise this is what we'll often do in the labs you run a couple of exercises in the lab meetings in a lab meetings yeah. yeah with our students and other staff who are interested um we activated the compassion itself you know so you did all the 
grounding of the body, posture, breathing, settling in. Uh, brought on the compassionate mind. Uh, so, you know, with those three key qualities of um, wisdom, uh, strength and commitment. And then from that position, I, uh, I kind of just asked people to focus in on the quality of kindness. So just your compassion, you, you as your compassionate self, you are just focused on that key quality of kindness. And we did this in relation to a recent sort of life stressor, life difficulty. Mm-hmm. May have been an argument you had with someone or something like that. And so we did it from a quality of kindness and then we paused, uh, you know, we kind of, sorry, we kind of asked, okay, what would you say to this, to yourself with this distressing difficulty? Um, how would you be feeling? What would the tone of voice be? What would you like to do? Et cetera, et cetera. And then we let that go, pause, focus on the breath again, brought the compassionate mind uh, really online again, but focused on the key quality of courage, which mm. kind of taps into that strength and the strength mm. of courage dimension. Um, and just focus, okay, now in relation to this difficulty, focusing in on courage, what would you say? How would you say it? What would you like to do? How would you be feeling? Uh, towards yourself with this life difficulty. Mm. And then we came back together as a group and shared our experience. And the key part was people had a very clear difference in what Mm. um, they felt in their body uh, when they did it. So kindness was very much focused in on a kind of accepting me as a person. Okay, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm feeling. It was very validating in that way. Mm. Um, Almost acting as like that kind of um, safe haven, if you will, Mm. um, to bring in attachment language. Um, whereas when they focused on the courage, it was very much on, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what, so it was, Mm. they kind of, and you think about the second psychology of compassion, the doing, trying to do something to reduce the distress. It was very much like, okay, what, how can I repair that relationship? And Mm. it was kind of very empowering, very uplifting. Mm. Whereas the first was kind of containing and slowing. Um, accepting this is how it is. The second part was very, okay, energizing. Tone of voice was very kind of, um, well, yeah, encouraging, uh, more energy to it, and mm. a very different bodily uh, reaction, mm. Uh, mm. just with that slight variation. Yeah, no, I, sadly, I think I missed that lab meeting, actually, but um, it, it sounds very interesting. that, And it, it really shows the importance even of concepts or... Um, the language or the words we use in some of our imagery you know, related exercises and, and the way that that kind of activates different systems almost yeah. in, the, in the brain and the body, different body-brain patterns and, and that uh, both perhaps have a role, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. guessing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, but, sure. but strength and courage and, and kind of where there might be an emphasis on that, it might be um, energizing, yep. encouraging, and and towards action, and maybe even towards change. Yeah. Whereas kindness might be more validating yep. and accepting, um, and slightly less about change. Totally, that was the experience we had with the group. Mm. That that sums it up brilliantly. Mm. And actually, it speaks as well to this integration between clinical and research that you mentioned before. I mean, you're very much driven by that as well and, and looking at how sort of the, the research applies clinically and, and vice versa. And I know that you have been doing a lot of training of clinicians and also you know, maintaining your own clinical practice. What, what have you noticed in the application of this stuff there? I mean, do, do you find this with, with your clients, for example? Or what, what have you noticed 
working with imagery, um, kindness versus courage versus, you know, this compassionate motivation. <coughs> Any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I think just from being around Paul, mm. um, I have very much in the front of mind in every session now, essentially, you know, what would Paul do? And that's certainly right. not something that oh, I'm the only one who <laughs> has. I know you, uh, you've mentioned that. and um, yeah. Actually, I think you've mentioned you've got the phrase, oh, thank goodness for Paul or yeah. something. Thank like. you, Paul, is, <laughs> thank is you, Paul. what I'll often <laughs> say to myself after a session, just because of the way that his ideas and practices and just the the kind of, even just the small amount of mentoring I've had over, over the last few years, you know, just it, it comes into uh, those sessions in a really positive, productive way. Oh, totally. And so I guess some of the biggest things I picked up from him whilst he was here that really started to become more embedded were firstly that whole um, kind of focus on uh, thinking with your clients as opposed to for your clients. Mm. And so there's many instances where there'll be some practices that we'll be doing that I would be like, oh, I'm not sure if that would work. But then you hear him talk about it. And when he was working for the NHS and the first group, program he did with um, uh, compassion focused therapy mm. and these are for individuals who were suffering depression uh, weren't responding to the other therapy options available and he just sort of rocked up and he tells this anecdote in in his group in the trainings and so on he goes he rocks up and he sort of says to them hey i've got this new therapy it's called compassion focused therapy thought it might be worthwhile having a go it's one of these new things i'm interested in what do you think <laughs> and they'll go, oh, yeah, another one of your sort of new tricks, hey, Gilbert? Yeah, sure, okay, throw it at us, see what you've got. <laughs> and it kind of is really, um, what's the word? Sort of humbling in some ways, but also um, inspiring because um, he kind of is recognising the expertise and wisdom of the individual and their experience mm. and trusting in on that. Mm. And so, hey, I, you know, I'm also trusting in on what you're comfortable and ready for. So let's work together mm. collaboratively. And I think that's huge. Mm. And that's something which has been really helpful for me. But also just the, 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 the kind of hinting or what's the word, a texturing of humor he brings into the groups. Mm. And so, and into working with the client as well. You know, mm. it's kind of like, well, here's an exercise um, that we think works really really well but pff, we'll see how it goes Are you, would you be yeah. willing to, 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 to take part in this mm. this is what it aims to do um, mm. and so it, it kind of I often feel and you know you're an expert in motivational interviewing um, and have been going around the country tr doing training in that but there's I often still have this part of me that has this sort of writing reflex tendency of uh. just trying to want to fix it right immediately or mm. have to find the answer you know, relatively quickly or this sense of urgency or pressure um whereas paul just goes in it with much more of a openness let's just see what will happen we think mm. this could be useful particularly yeah. around this issue so it's being used for a reason you're yes. just not plucking it yeah. um it's based on what it is that they've um been talking about being distressing so it's, there's a formulation there um it has mm. a function um, but the way he brings it in is much more kind of collaborative and and light-hearted yeah, with a very serious uh, kind of undertone. So, yeah, no, that same curiosity and discovery, and really respecting the client's own intrinsic wisdom, mm. um, and bringing that wisdom to the mm. surface, and and um, uh, very deftly, uh, kind of moving between the playfulness and the very moving moments, mm. uh, and being able to 
kind of bring all of that mm. into into the therapeutic relationship and, mm. and I really got that a lot out of um, you know one of the workshops that I attended as well around the just the importance of the therapeutic relationship and understanding those different dynamics between the client and their internal and external factors yeah. and the clinician and their internal and external factors and the interplay there mm. and, and the way that the therapeutic relationship and some of those basics around you know really good sort of proper questioning techniques and Socratic yeah. questioning and other oh. other sort of basics which we kind of forget I oh, think yeah. sometimes and but the, the way they can be used so skillfully that one of the things I noticed myself was that sometimes I feel a little kind of nervousness to actually dive in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and there's a few of the practices. I think the, the big one is um, sort of the, the, the multiple chair type work, chair work in, yeah. in CFT. And it's, it's so important. But the, the, you know, the, there can be reluctance around diving in mm-hmm. and, and sort of trying those things. So what, what are your reflections on either that that technique, I guess, or, or other things you've noticed that sometimes clinicians can just have that reluctance. Oh yeah, I, same experience. Mm. You can't, it kind of, and maybe this is just the neurotic perfectionistic kind of aspect to me. Um, is kind of like, well, unless I know it absolutely perfectly, I'm not going to try it at all. Mm. Um, and that's one of the biggest learnings I've had from Paul is, you know, sometimes I can, and he will give me feedback on on my sessions a lot. Um, one of the things I will focus m- too much on is technique. So I'm get I get too technique focused. So I'm right. focusing in on me and not the the client and what it is that they're saying and responding. Mm. And so they'll they'll let rip with this absolute insight, but I'm thinking next step. I need to do <laughs> right, <laughs> need to do X yeah. or Y with chair work perhaps or another technique. And I haven't caught on to that. Mm. And so I mean the thing when you watch him in action is he has the the technique. But um, around the, the set piece that he's doing uh, around chair work. But within that, all the Socratic dialoguing, reflecting, exploring, then coming back to, he just is able to do, as you said, so deftly. But, I mean, so much skill um, mm. is being shown. It's insane. So you watch him, you go, okay, I'm not going to do chair work anymore because I can't do that. But one of the things he does say is uh, in a video he often shows is, this is a, a demonstration of me doing uh, chair work and getting the compassion itself activated very poorly right. <laughs> but it still did a great job watch how she responds the client yeah. that is and uh, and that is always validating to, for yeah. him to have the courage to show okay haven't done this well at all haven't focused on posture very well haven't slowed down etc which is rare to see <laughs> to see him do but you kind of see that and go okay yeah so it's okay to make mistakes and that's the whole thing if you're worried about the mistake you're not going to stay attuned to what is being said and, mm. and perhaps explore and follow. So, yeah, I definitely have those nerves too, but part of it is it's kind of like um, part of the learning occurs in the sessions with your clients. And, of course, you want to build up a level of competency yes. before you go in. No, no, no doubt about that. Um, but then part of it is then experiencing what it is like to, 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 to try it. And so I would just share, and this is just from Paul with the, with the client, some of the first times I've ever done these exercises is oh, there's a really... Um, cool exercise actually that I think could be really helpful for us to get a better understanding of the inner conflicts that are going on it's called multiple cells it's been used a lot now I haven't tried it myself but I have studied it and I have practiced it myself Mm. and I think it could be really useful um, for us working together would you be willing to try Mm. try it with me and I've never heard them well every time I've done this no client has ever said no No. (laughs) and and they're like oh okay great 
And no, that's a nice way to sort of describe it, I think, and introduce and, and, it. And Paul says back to you, you know, you're kind of modelling to him yourself that you don't have to know it perfectly. We're mm. not kind of pushing this kind of um, implicit, perfectionistic kind of uh, way of attacking everything or mm. taking on the life's challenges is we try our best with what we've got. And it's going to take wh- a while to build these skills. And as mm. long as you're sharing this in an open way mm. with clients, uh, um, I think there's no reason not to jump into it. And then since I've been doing the chair work, it, it's become a like a you know a it's good a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm using it all of the time mm. um, because it can just bring out so much more than just talking. And you know, mm. staying with more of the the kind of exploring, which is still important, but getting into the the other parts of it is just. Hmm. pretty powerful yeah it takes a bit of kind of i guess strength and courage to be a clinician really and and to be willing to or and able to approach you know some of these some of the suffering that people Hmm. might actually experience and and to do a a multiple chair exercise where perhaps you're exploring the critical self or other things you know it 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 gets the slight the the anxiety going a little bit for the clinician oh yeah um but you know some of those practices perhaps we do for ourselves, you know, we might, we might stop and do some, get some posture right and mm. get the soothing rhythm breathing right before we even go into these sessions mm. with clients mm. and then find that kind of uh, willingness to go there because it does tap into that in- intrinsic kind of wisdom of clients, mm. the, the experiential elements of all of that. Just it's rich with, mm. with what clients might start to, to talk about and and actually our role in those moments is just to be sort of a very good listener mm. in mm. some mm. ways mm. that mm. that's that's the skill that really mm. you know we we bring to the to a lot of these exercises oh completely I, I remember though the first time i did try it about five years ago um after one of his workshops um i kind of after i did the chair work, i was like oh my god i've stuffed that <laughs> so i kind of avoided inquiring about the experience with my client um, for a number of sessions and then um, directly and then he just naturally brought it up you know can we try that chair work again because I noticed when I was there with my partner you know I was getting into angry self big time and so he just naturally got into the language Mm. of the chair work Mm. despite the fact that I hadn't gone back to it because I thought I'd stuffed it and so whenever Mm. I stuff things I tend to avoid avoid going back there um, just a natural tendency, which is problematic, of course. But um, <laughs> it sounds very that. human, James. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's amazing, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, it's good stuff. And and actually, um, that that brings me, I guess, to the to the third question. I, I I just thought I'd ask you this. I'm not sure what you have really noticed over the last three to six months, but but you know, like in terms of all this stuff, it it is so. Um, human and and you know we we do get to explore and and kind of maybe even learn a, a little bit about ourselves mm. as a person or as a man or as a father or husband or friend or whatever it might be family member I don't know I just thought I'd put it to you like what what what, what sorts of things have you learned you know in that broader domain of, of you as a person uh, have you learned anything about yourself Stan <laughs> <laughs> just avoided. <laughs> no, um, good question. I mean, I, I often do share with with people, um, doing the compassion under the duvet exercise because mm. I wake up quite grumpy. Mm. Um, usually, I'm not a morning person at all. Stan could easily 
<laughs> provide evidence supporting that. Um, but it's just a simple practice where you wake up in the morning and welcome yourself and start to imagine uh, how you would be in your day if you were at your compassion affairs. How would you relate to people? What would you say? What would you do? Mm. And that's totally changed the way I start my days. Mm. Um, so usually when I wake up in the morning, it's kind of like a... <sighs> check the phone, oh my God. Uh, there's almost this resentment of having been up in the work that I need to take care of. Mm. Uh, starting via this way has meant the first thing I typically do after doing that couple of minute practice is um, roll over and give my wife a kiss, you mm. know, before starting the day or just turning and looking and mm. taking it in. Um, just, you know, the way she looks and, and mm. so on. Um, which totally changed how I... Then related to her in those first half hour minutes of the day, and uh, and she can definitely testify to that that that's been a change. Um, but since Paul's been here this time around, I think the biggest thing is just letting go. This kind of I kind of find that I get focused, uh, perhaps overly focused on trying to find answers, um, mm. and that puts like an added pressure on some of the work. Um, so I sometimes forget that, you know, understanding how we relate to distress and suffering. I mean, you know, people have been trying to do this for thousands of years, mm. <laughs> thousands and thousands of years. It's more about asking questions than it is about finding answers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's the big thing. And, and, and certainly then recognising how perhaps, um, you know, when it comes to my own individual life, I've very much been overly drive-focused over the last mm. uh, six months. And I, I blame Paul entirely. <laughs> You've been been exceedingly busy. I haven't even gotten really to see you very much, and uh, that was disappointing. But mind you, I imagine there's been a lot of dopamine squirting in (laughs) somewhere or whatever it might be that dopamine does. I think uh, the other thing I will will mention is just this very brief one, and that's starting to um, see when other people... Sometimes I can get frustrated with um, people always wanting meetings or... Mm. Or alternatively, um, just with the amount of things that you have to go to and attend. Mm. I mean, just even at home, like, you know, when Fletch starts, you know, cracking up. That's my son. Because um, no one's paying him any attention or whatever. Mm. I kind of, through a CFT uh, perspective, sort of seeing all of those moments as just, you know, these are individuals who are looking at a point, a, a contact point of connectedness or wanting to connect in relationships. Mm. Um, and just doing that has subtly uh, shifted, again, my sort of not again kind of another meeting or so on Mm. or they're just wanting attention why do they need so much attention um to a kind of um recognize oh god you know this is another opportunity for relationship building and what they're what they're wanting right now is relationship connectedness and so Mm. when fletch does crack it it's kind of not a case of of me just going oh you know he just wants attention um which sometimes gets a bad rap and it just shouldn't um, this mm. is this is a case of him wanting to connect with me. Mm. You know, that's yeah. pretty cool because I suspect he won't want to do that when he's in his teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm I'm the one who's going to be cracking it because he's not spending any time with me. Yeah, well, that's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What exactly. about yourself then? Well, no, I think what you're describing is that the more I dive into all of this stuff, I just do feel a 
that the, the, the compassion motivation does build. Yeah. And it does mean that you start to view the world through this slightly different lens now. Yeah. You, you, you view the world through a compassion motivation. And, and so you, you, you become more sensitive. You become more, um, you understand things slightly from a different perspective. You see people mm. sort of operating the best they can with the brains they've got. And, yeah. you, and you start to understand the, the, just the key aspect of, of relationship and connection and, and you know those sorts of things and and you start to see suffering and and you feel like you want to do something about it you know like you can't take all suffering away you and I've had those sort of debates many times but just that that motivation to, to try mm. and and it just starts to be you just pervade things more I think in one's life and of course I get into angry self still that's my one of my big ones and and anxious self and critical self, self and so on um but um uh, but i so, think that compassion itself just just starts to to become more real but um That's awesome, well thanks james <laughs> I, I i really have been looking forward to, to catching a little bit of your time to find out about all this stuff because it it really has been a joy to watch I, I really do feel that, and, and so well done. Congratulations <laughs> on a great six months. I'm sure it's, I mean, it's continuing and, and whatever, but... Um, well done for Paul for putting up with me. I mean, there were times <laughs> we were in workshops, and he was going, say, James, what do you think of this? I'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to work with it. And, um, but if I did the reverse, Paul, I mean, what do you think about this? Bang, you know, it's just amazing how... He's just tracking all of the time. and It is kind of cool being uh, exposed to that kind of mind. Um, yeah. uh, and working in, in workshops closely with people, which is what we're doing at the moment, Stan, yeah. um, it is such a joy. Mm. So, you know, um, I feel quite lucky, really. I mean, cr- pretty amazing that at him at his, you know, Paul's uh, stage of life, because he's pretty old. <laughs> 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 decides to, to travel across the, you know, um, Pacific um, and, and come and... Hey, is it the Pacific or is it the Atlantic? I don't know. One of the oceans. And um, spend a big chunk of his time here in Brizzy. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I got to... Um, I got to jam with him a couple of times and we, <laughs> we played a bit of Muzak. But, um, oh, yeah, how cool is that? Yeah, exactly. All right, well, high five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, well done and... Um, Thanks for talking to me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Pleasure, mate. <laughs> All right. See you next time. Bye.